Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 283 being recorded on Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason, how are the holidays treating you so far? They are treating me really well. It's been uh, super interesting what's going on in our industry and uh, getting ready to take the family to California to uh, see my mom and brother. Very fun. California versus Chicago seems like a smart, smart choice this time of year. Yes. Early in uh, my relationship with my wife, uh, we agreed that we would visit her Michigan in-laws in Thanksgiving and my California uh, relatives in December seemed Weather prudent, smart. if nothing else. Yeah, smart. I like your I like your negotiating strategies. <laughs> uh, so we are recording this here live on December twenty first. So we are in the very last tail end of holiday twenty one. And Jason, you had some um, some interesting data that you had parsed through that, that I thought we could start with. It's going to be largely kind of the November data, but it's it's kind of the best data we have until we get into January and see how the holiday played out. Um, and then we'll do a, a quick checkpoint on um, what you're hearing from clients. And then I think both of us wanted to kind of share our big stories for, for retail and e-commerce for 2021. So why don't, why don't you kick us off with some data? That sounds amazing. Um, so yeah, so the data we are talking about is the U.S. Department of Commerce data. We we get a an update every month. Um, so you know, uh, last week we got the the update that includes November, and uh, in general, uh, November sales were up sixteen percent from November of twenty twenty. So I always coach people that we should look at year over year, not month over month. So pretty healthy growth in twenty twenty one from twenty twenty. Um, if you look at year to date, so January through November, we are up about 18% from 2020. Um, and if you look at e-commerce, uh, we were up about 12% from November of 2020. Um, so, I, you know, I always uh, put this data out on social media and I got a ton of uh, interesting responses this year on that data. Um, everyone's like, Hey, Jason, why are you comparing to November of 2020? Like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Everything was all topsy turvy. Like it, like comparing pandemic 2021 numbers to pandemic 2020 numbers isn't very helpful to me because everything is so confusing. And so I kind of took that to heart. Like I, you know, it is the best kind of comparison we we have about how we're doing. But I said, oh, you know, the more interesting comparison is maybe we take one step back and we compare uh, the 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 last two years of data to two years ago. So we kind of compare how much growth we've had during the pandemic with what growth looked like before the pandemic. Um, and I hadn't hadn't really done that in a while. And what I found was interesting. And in a few cases, it surprised me. I feel like we should create a new word for this. Um, I'll, I'll work on it. Yeah. Uh, in the vein of a ship again. Ago. Yeah, that's just boring. Yeah, right. Yagda yeah. or um, 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, every CEO yep. in America has learned to say year over two years ago, by the way. And for it's super funny for non-GAAP uh, metrics in the annual, in the, the 10 Qs, they like it's they they completely cherry pick. Like if the number is good, they take versus last year, and if it's bad, they take versus two years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's the nice thing. You need everything. Every number needs to be up and to the right. My takeaway there is you CEOs are oily. Wait, uh, no, <laughs> we're strategic. Got it. Potato, <laughs> potato. <laughs> cool. What did this year over year year over year over last yeah. year reveal? Yeah. So if we say, hey, from uh, uh, how how much has retail grown um, in 2020 and 2021 as a two year stack, uh, it has grown 22 percent. So, you know, people talk about like all the struggles and challenges we had during uh, the pandemic. But if I if I got in a time machine and no pandemic just told every retail CEO, how would you feel about growing 22 percent over the next two years? Um, the vast majority of CEOs would have jumped at that. And then if you said, and our life is going to be totally disrupted by this pandemic, I, I think every retail CEO in America would have said, I'd be thrilled to get through the next two years with 22% growth. So that was interesting. And then I said, I wonder how that compares historically. Um, so I, I got in the hot tub time machine and I pulled all the data from 1990 through today and I restated every year as uh, its growth versus the previous two years to kind of come up with this standard metric to compare against the 22%. And uh, 22% is unprecedentedly high. It's, it's by far the biggest two-year growth we've had since 1990. There's only a few years that uh, that just tickled 15%. So like in 2000, we hit 15%. And in 1994, we hit 15%. But like most of the the this last decade, we were kind of tickling in the kind of 6 to 8% growth. So 22% growth on average for the whole retail industry is a huge win and unprecedentedly more growth than we would traditionally get. Does that surprise you at all? It does. And so to make sure I understand it's all retail, so it's offline and online in aggregate. And then you can't just divide it by two, right? Cause there's compounding in there. So it's not really two years of 11. It's probably like, I don't know, a 12 and an eight or something. Yes. So you are correct. Um, now, and, and, that 20, yes, and all of this data, it does include compounding. Um, the, the compounding is an interesting point, which uh, will come up in a, another piece of data in, in just a minute. But yeah, so this is all like literally looking at the aggregate sales for 2019 and the aggregate sales for 2021 and saying how much bigger was 2021 than 2019. Yeah. Did you run a CAGR? So in MBA school, they would say, well, you can actually unpack the compounding by look at the compounded annual growth rate. Um, uh, yes. Yes. I am uh, familiar with the math. I did not. Okay. It with two years, it's not going to be that substantial. No, that's so, the, yeah, yeah, it's like, or typically like, like with like a five year horizon, it makes a lot more sense, but yeah, yeah. Um, it would have been interesting, but it just, I had two year data. So I was just trying to come up with an apples to apples. No, it feels, feels like a win. Yeah. So then I said, all right, well, that's interesting. On average, retail is a huge win. Very obviously, there are winners and losers. So I said, all right, well, let's look at all the categories that the U.S. Department of Commerce gives us on the, uh, based on that two-year stack. And there were 
you know, and who, who was at the industry average, who wildly outperformed the industry average and who underperformed the industry average. Um, and there were some things that made total sense to me and were not surprising. And then there were some pretty big surprises in there. So the, the category that, out of the U.S. Department of Commerce data that grew the fastest was non-store sales, which is kind of our, our e-commerce proxy, right? And it grew 39%. So almost twice as fast as total retail. That's pretty intuitive. You know, again, you're hearing a lot of e-commerce growth is slowing, like in November, um, as more people went back to stores, you know, compared to this, like, you know, pandemic impacted 2020. But when you look at it on a two-year stack, um, e-commerce is still the fastest growing part of retail. It grew 39% from 2019. Uh, and that that certainly didn't surprise me. Um, the next two categories, sporting goods and building materials, uh, also really didn't surprise me because we kind of talked about them being the big uh, pandemic winners that like, you know, people didn't go to the gym. So they bought stuff from Dick's Sporting Goods. People didn't go on vacation. So they uh, uh, built a new patio uh, with materials from Home Depot. And so kind of all the that services revenue shifted into retail and that gave sporting goods and building materials a big a big kiss. Um, motor vehicles, which at one point people were saying like, oh my God, that, that's going to be a horrible category in the pandemic. Motor vehicles actually outperformed the industry average. So they grew at 24% versus 22% for total retail. And then uh, here's where we started getting surprises. Slightly below the industry average was furniture and home furnishing. So that grew at 21% versus the industry average of 22. And if you just asked me to bet, I would have said in the same way that building materials and home improvement stores got extra spending from the pandemic, I would have expected furniture stores to get extra spending from the pandemic as well. And so it surprised me that they were only at the industry average. And the only, my only hypothesis is, um, did they have more disruptions from supply chain? Like, like, was it just harder for them to scale up to make more sofas to, to meet the increased demand? And so they, they, they grew healthy, but they didn't grow as healthy as they might have because they 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 couldn't double their U.S. workforce to build more couches. Yeah, that, that feels right. The furniture industry has been here in North Carolina. That's our primary one, and they're just destroyed by the supply chain. They can't. There was a series of events they couldn't get foam because of the fire in Austin. Remember that? It seems like a year ago, but it actually wasn't. I think it was the summer. And then with this, the quote unquote supply pain, they haven't been able to get the other inputs like anything fabric. A lot of that stuff's made in China and shipped over here and it's just sitting on a boat somewhere. Yeah. And I feel like it's a double whammy for them because it's harder than ever to make stuff, but there's actually, they could sell more than ever before if they could make it. So it's like, it, it almost feels worse knowing there's demand that you can't meet. Yeah. Yeah. It's painful. Yep. So then general merchandise grew at 16% versus all of retail at 22%. Um, and then the one that surprised me most uh, that I talk about an awful lot is grocery grew at 16% versus the industry average of 22%. And I would have said, man, a ton of spending shifted from restaurants to grocery stores. They were another pandemic winner. And so I'll be honest, I don't have a perfect hypothesis for why, um, again, 16% is healthy growth. And by historical standards, it's better than any two-year period since 1990. So I, I don't want to say, oh, you know, they had a rough time. They had a good time, but surprising that they were below the industry average to me a little bit. Hmm. You have any great insight that I didn't think of on why that would be? I don't, maybe it's like a mixed thing underneath the hood. Like 
the uh, e-commerce grew so much, doesn't it like, yes. will it all be in this category or will, so if. Imperfect. Yes. So you are right. Like okay. one of the, the wrinkles in all of this is the way the U.S. Department of Commerce treats e-commerce as another category, which is unfortunate, right? Because, you know, when someone shifts from buying a, um, a exercise bike in a Dick Sporting Good to buying a Dick exercise bike from DickSportingGoods.com, the sale leaves the sporting good category and enters the non-store category. Yeah. Um, okay. And so that's that's a, that's not really apples to apples. And then, of course, this is all done with surveys that are imperfectly filled out by human beings. And so how different retailers respond to that survey is also inconsistent. So you got to you. The, this data is super helpful directionally, but you definitely don't want to get too wrapped around the axle of the minutia of the data because it it's just an imperfect methodology. Yeah. Um, and so then the the categories that did the worst do uh, make sense with one outlier for or a couple outliers for me. So uh, gasoline only grew at fourteen percent. Uh, you know, again, makes sense to me that they they you know underperformed when people weren't commuting to work. Um, surprising, fourteen percent sales is still pretty good growth. Uh, clothing is near the bottom at twelve percent growth. So again, clothing over the last two years did not shrink. They still grew at twelve percent, which might have been. Their average rate of growth, I should do that uh, later, is pulled just the category growth over the last 30 years. Um, but uh, compared to all these other categories, obviously, clothing was was poor. Um, and the very lowest category is restaurants and bars, which still grew 6%. So um, that all makes sense. But then there were two, two categories in the seller that I would have expected to do better. Um, health and personal care grew at 11%. And electronics and appliances grew at 7%. So those are both pretty far under the industry average. And, you know, those are two categories. Uh, they had some complication. They had pros and cons, um, in, you know, within that category. But uh, by and large, I guess I was surprised to see them so well. Yeah, the health and beauty one, because everyone was zooming, like the makeup sales shot way up. So it's got to be a... You know, it, it was e-commerce. Yeah, lipstick so sales like, actually went way down because of the mask, but mascara and skincare went way up. It's so funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so then I just did one other sanity check. So, you know, like a couple people, a couple of industry analysts even like responded to my data and said, yeah, I just don't believe the numbers. And I'm like, just so I'm understanding you, you're saying you don't believe the U.S. Department of Commerce numbers, not like I didn't make any of these numbers up. Right. <laughs> like um, and and the U.S. Department of Commerce data is imperfect. I would argue it's the best we have access to. And it, it's it's a bunch of, you know, Ph.D. in statistics that have, uh, you know, the force of law to, you know, to like enforce compliance with their surveys. So, like, it's it's better than any other survey out there for whatever that's worth. Um, but so I thought, how can I do a ch sanity check on this data? And I'm like, oh, all the public retailers are required to report their growth every quarter. So we could um, try to create uh, a year over two year growth um, for all of these public retailers and compare it to the industry data. Um, and some of these public retailers are in a particular category. So you can you know, pretty safely assume all of their sales are in that category. So you could kind of use that as a sanity check. Um, so I pulled, uh, I don't know, I guess it's about 25 companies and I converted their quarterly growth into a two-year stack. And here I will confess, I took a shortcut and if there's any mathematicians that want to help me solve this problem, I will totally do it. Um, these 
growth numbers are not compounded growth. Um, so the problem is we don't have annual growth rates from the retailers. We have quarterly growth rates. So basically you have to aggregate four quarters of growth and then um, ca- uh, calculate it over two years. And so I took a, a lazy shortcut and I just added their 2020 growth to their 2021 growth. So we have basically seven quarters of growth for most of these retailers. Um, and it's uh, it's what they call a two-year stack, which means growth from 2019 plus 2020. And while the math is not right there, by the way, right, because of like the compounding problem of your, your 2020 growth includes your, you know, growth over 2019. Um, this is how most retailers report it in their earnings. So when they talk about two-year growth, for these non-gap measures where they try to you know, put themselves in the best light and they report their two-year growth, they're almost never talking about a compounded number. Like if you read the footnote, they're, they're adding the growth from those two years. So this is how they're doing the math in most cases uh, for whatever that's worth. Uh, but so that's way more precursor than we need. Uh, the retailer that grew, the, the public retailer that grew the most over the last two years, total shocker to me, I would not have expected in a million years is Burlington Coat Factory. They grew 85%. And to put that in perspective, they sell apparel, which did not do very well in the pandemic. And they turned off their website, their e-commerce site, the month before the pandemic. So they didn't sell yeah. any apparel online. And they're not and really yet, opening a lot of stores either, are they? No. Uh, yeah. I mean, they may have opened a couple stores uh, over the whole two years. But like, um, this is mostly comp sales growth. So it actually kind of factors out new store opening. Okay, so it's constant. Yeah. Um, this is these numbers that, yeah are based on um currency adjusted comp uh sales just in the US wherever possible. So um so so Burlington's a total outlier. Congratulations to them. Uh surprising to me. Amazon is was the second fastest grower in all of public retail at 61% over two years, which doesn't surprise me. That's super impressive. But uh You'd expect to see them near the top of this list. Um, then you see Dick Sporting Goods at 57%. And again, like from, from the industry data, Sporting Goods was the second fastest growing category behind e-commerce. So Amazon as a proxy for e-commerce and Dick's as a proxy for Sporting Goods makes total sense. But then things start getting interesting. The next fastest grower was Ulta, um, which is personal care at 36%. So they grew much better than um, did the 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 personal care category now they're less than half the personal care category the slightly bigger version of them would be sephora but sephora is actually owned um by a a house of brands and so it's harder to get their data um bed bath and beyond grew 35 percent um which is impressive target grew 34 percent home depot which again was in one of these these outperforming categories grew 33%. Lowe's grew 28% by comparison. Um, Best Buy grew 29%. And this, it doesn't surprise me that Best Buy grew 29%, but this is makes that the fact that electronics was one of the slowest growing categories at 7% make even less percent, make even less sense. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to imagine how electronics only grew 7% over the last two years when, you know, everyone bought, uh, all this extra equipment for homeschooling and, and home entertainment. And then with Best Buy growing 29%, it's even harder to imagine how the in the category average was only 7%. Um, 
Um, yeah, maybe in a perfect world you could then split like something like that into store and non-store, or store slash e-commerce, and maybe that would tell the story. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's like one of the few the my few answers to to a number of these anomalies. And then I know this like all these numbers in a podcast suck, but like uh, then you start getting into like Abercrombie and Fitch twenty eight percent, Costco twenty six percent, Kohl's, Nordstrom's, Walmart grew at twenty one percent, which again for you know, a huge company, the the Fortune One company to grow at the industry average is pretty good. Um, Nike grew at twenty percent. Um, uh, TJ Maxx at fifteen percent. And uh, the the bottom three, uh, a surprise and two not surprises. So the the second to worst and third to worst were Dollar Tree and Dollar General at ten percent growth, which is kind of surprising. Um, you know, consumers were kind of flush with cash with all the extra uh, economic stimulus. They weren't really slowing down their spending. And so, like, you know, maybe it wasn't a great season for the value shoppers. Um, but a lot of the news was about how these these dollar stores were opening tons of stores and were really thriving. So interesting that they both only grew 10 percent. And then the the worst performing public company on this list was Macy's, which grew 6 percent over the two years. Hmm. Not totally surprising. <laughs> Isn't that the one that uh, uh, Scott Galloway said was going to be yeah, crushing be the, the, the future of retail is Macy's, not Amazon. Yeah. This chart, unfortunately, Oops. yeah, uh, contradicts that prediction. So we'll have to wait and see. All you Scott Galloway fans, you just hang on, hang on to your stick to your guns. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my the rabbit hole that the stupid November numbers uh, uh, took me down. So as you can imagine, none of my clients got any deliverables in November. <laughs> when when people tell you they don't believe the data, what are they reacting to? Uh, I, I think there's a couple categories. There are people that are like, hey, it's the the month over month is interesting, but like who cares, right? Like because these are all anomalous months. Um, and that's why I went for this two-year stack. And and so my point was uh I I think like when people are saying, Hey, I don't, I don't believe the data. I actually don't think they meant they don't believe that this is the data that the U S department of commerce reported. I think they're both saying in some cases, I don't think the U S department of commerce can count very well. And what they mostly hang their hat on is, is the non-store sales not being right. And that's fair, right? Like when someone at Best Buy fills out a survey, the U S department of commerce would like them to put their e-commerce sales in one box and their store sales in another box. Um, and do they do that? I don't know, right? And does every retailer do that properly and consistently? I can tell you that the person assigned to fill out those surveys is generally not the most senior accountant at the. It's usually not the CFO. Yeah. Um. So, so that is imperfect. And then what I think they're saying more is, um, maybe don't make all your future plans based on, uh like this snapshot of the world, because, you know, we are looking at a, at a, a unique set of circumstances that resulted in this data. Right. So if, if you mistakenly thought my takeaway was retail's better than ever, and, you know, everybody should double down because, you know, retail is, is the most thriving industry in the world. 22% growth is amazing and it's going to continue forever. Yeah, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that like, it's interesting. There were positive and negative impacts on all these businesses as a result of the pandemic, but on the aggregate, 
the impact was disproportionately positive. And I don't think that that is sustainable, right? Like I, you know, I think we'll hope to drop down to the regular, the sort of pre-pandemic growth levels and potentially we pulled some growth forward and we might even see some more lean years because we, we, you know, absorbed so much growth this time. This is a long way of you saying you now agree with the, the Goldman Sachs chart that showed five years of acceleration. No, no, I think that still is pretty clear. And they were primarily talking about e-commerce, which definitely didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so that that's my my deep dive into data, and it, there's there's can't be anything more fun than listening to a podcast about a a dude spewing a bunch of numbers. So I will I'll do two things. I'll try to put some of this data in the show notes, but what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes to download some charts with this data in it. Very cool. Uh, I I actually like uh, you spewing data, so maybe I'm just a, an audience of one. You may be the, an outlier. <laughs> I may be an outlier. Um, so what are you seeing? So that, that kind of gets us through November. What are you seeing here in December? I, I poked around on the usual spots, uh, you know, so the Adobe and the, the Salesforce and a couple others. And it, it's really weird. They've been kind of quiet since, since kind of the cyber week. What, what are you hearing from your clients? Yeah. So I don't know, if, like there's not good data that's already reporting December sales for holiday. Um, but so anecdotally talking to a bunch of clients and talking to some of these companies that do have internal data, um, it's December is looking like a good month, right? And so the it, my kind of aggregate estimate is holiday for 2021 is going to end up being about 9% bigger than holiday 2020. And uh, again, you say, well, is 9% good or bad? By historical standards, it's pretty darn good. Um most most years we get about uh, ho- holiday grows less than the rest of the year because there's so much extra volume in it. Um, so most years we get about five percent growth in holiday. Um, in 2019 we got four percent growth. Nine uh, percent is a big number, and, and uh, last year was a pretty big growth year. Um, and so uh, um, you know uh, also around nine percent. So nine percent on top of nine percent is a uh, um, a pretty big deal. I have seen some estimates that think it'll grow even more than 9% this year to put that in perspective. The last time before last year, that grew 9% would have been like uh, 1999. So, so not only do we have great growth over two years, we, we do have great holiday growth. One huge caveat, the trend up until about a week ago was that more people were returning to the store. Store traffic was going up. We were seeing kind of pre-pandemic shopping behaviors and e-commerce was still a big deal, bigger than ever before, but the rate of growth was slowing because there was so much pent up demand to go to stores. Lots of people were planning on getting together with their family. Like there, there was a funny Walmart stat about, you know, how much bigger the turkeys were that got sold this year than last year because people were were entertaining a lot more. Um, so Unfortunately, in uh, kind of real-time chats with most of my clients, in the last week, um, we have seen foot traffic to stores dramatically curtail. And it it feels like um, we're very quickly getting a lot of negative media um, news around, and I say media, but I guess it's based on the data, um, about Omicron. And uh, the hypothesis is they're either 
Omicron has people scared and so they're not going to stores. Or a second hypothesis is everyone desperately wants to have their family gathering. So they're being extra cautious leading up to Christmas. But in either case, um, we're we're seeing this last minute pivot to e-commerce. And that has some impacts like the the shipping companies have actually been doing a much better job this year than last year on keeping up with Shipageddon. Um, but if suddenly everyone, uh, you know, runs towards e-commerce these last two weeks, that could really put uh, shipping in jeopardy in a in a really vulnerable time when they have a lot of labor challenges. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of a, a Debbie Downer bit of news in this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Omicron has a you know, it's going to put next year kind of up up into a question mark of what what happens. You know, and then. The thing that's really frustrating trying to operate a business during this time frame is the bookmarks of good and bad are so wide that you have no idea. Like you could drive a truck through them, right? They're 180 degrees. So you read one new source and it's like, oh, it's super mild and it's almost going to act like its own vaccine. Then you you see another source and it's like, we're all going to die. So somewhere, hopefully we're somewhere in the middle there. Amen. Yeah. No, it, it's tricky. Uh, uh, yeah. And kind of evaluating all these data sources. That's like the new, the new societal challenge, right? It really is. Yeah. So uh, I'm wondering, uh, so that's, that's kind of my holiday snapshot, some good news and some bad news in there. Um, I I wanted to take a couple uh, minutes uh, on this podcast, because I think this is going to be our last show of the year to kind of zoom out from the, the minutiae and just kind of think about the year in totality and kind of, I don't know, you know, highlight what we think are the the big things that happened in our industry this year that might impact us going forward. How do you feel about that? Let's do it. Awesome. You want to go first? Uh, I mostly wanted you to go first because I thought I would surprise you and make you give bad answers while I thought about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll go first. So so I'm going to try to limit it to three because we okay. could, you know, we could go on for, for a long time here. I accept um, the challenge. So I think the highlights of this year for me, um, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show if we didn't think a little bit about Amazon. The the build out of Amazon's shipping infrastructure, and I feel like we say this every year, but it's accelerating. And there's some really good data. We want to have a guest on that's publishing some data on this. Just you know, Amazon has built more capacity in the last two years than they they have in the last ten. So they've used the pandemic as a you know their response to it um, and, and they've gotten kind of cover, I guess you could say is to really 10 X down on fulfillment infrastructure um, where, where you get the most feeling of that is at the last mile, which is this DSP program that they've just really scaled up massively. Um, this touches my, my day job because at Spiffy, we service a lot of these folks and they're just, they're everywhere. And, you know, it used to be, they would kind of work out of fulfillment systems. Then they built these, um, fulfillment centers. Now they've got these, uh, let's see, the last word is station. What do they call them? Delivery stations. They, they have a whole new nomenclature where they now are, have these four deployed areas where the DSPs are almost housed in aggregate. So you'll go to these places and it's pretty wild. I've seen several of them now and there'll be like 20 DSPs operating out of there. These little micro businesses and, you know, just, just prime vans as far as the eye can see. Um, where, you know, the stat that I think is kind of the most interesting is Amazon did disclose that they plan to ship more, um, than, than FedEx, uh, this year. And then I think they said in the next couple of years, they'll exceed the USPS as far as package delivery. 
Um, it doesn't surprise me just given the scale that they are throwing at this thing. Uh, for example, you can't buy a van today because Amazon has just pre-ordered all the vans. So uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating the scale they've done there. The thing that that uh, in our we'll do our annual predictions, but I've been annually predicting that they would compete more directly with FedEx and UPS by offering just package delivery to anybody. I just it feels like we're a lot closer to that. Uh, but I say that every year, so we'll see. The other surprise for me um, is the explosion of this fifteen minute grocery delivery world. Uh, the most people are probably their first experience with this or the first company they heard of was GoPuff. Um, and it wasn't really a 15 minute thing. It was just kind of faster. It was almost hours. Um, then you had Instacart really scale up. And then what's happened is the service level on these things has gotten lower to the point where they're, they're all trying to get you something in 15 minutes. It's a smaller number of SKUs than, than you would get with like Amazon's 300 million SKUs available. Um, so it's typically going to be. You know, you probably have a cool word for it, but it's like snacks and, you know, oh my gosh, I'm out of a soda I need or ice cream, um, things that you kind of have an urgent hankering for and are willing to pay to, to scratch that itch uh, a little bit more the, on the shipping and handling fees and those kinds of things. Um, these are the kinds of things when I talk to people, they're like, oh yeah, that, that'll, A, the economics will never work and then B, no one will ever use it. And then everyone's always surprised because, you can never underestimate the convenience for a consumer that when you give them the choice to do something uh, with convenience, they they will they will do it and they will order things you would never have uh, thought about. I remember when Amazon rolled out Prime Now, they were shocked that the toilet paper and personal products were such a high um, considered item. And it's just, you know, people, a lot of people don't plan ahead and they run out of stuff and they want it right then and they're willing to pay extra for it. So that one's pretty interesting. Um, and you you track this probably even better than I do. Amazon's going after this one. And then there's like 10 startups in there that, that are have all raised you know billions of dollars. GoPuff just announced a $1.5 billion extension of their last round by layering on some debt. Um, so there's one called like Gorilla or Gorillas. And there's just tons of these things out there. But Amazon's um, scaling it up too. So it's going to be interesting to see if any of these guys can make headway against Amazon or if Amazon will just crush them. And then the last one is live streaming. This one's sputtering in the U.S., but every data point outside the U.S. Um, indicates it's a thing. And I do think this one's going to translate um, from um, – I've seen it – I've seen data that shows that it has expanded out of China. That's kind of where you know maybe a year ago we were talking about it, largely on an Alibaba platform. Um, but now I, I think it's, there's European startups. I'm starting to see some categories in the U S where this is interesting. Uh, I, I follow the collectible category and there's, um, a couple of the hot companies are, they do these live streams where they will do, um, unboxings. So they will, they will buy a pack of cards from like the eighties. Um, and then they will open them live and, and see what, what's in there and, and, you know, uh, it's kind of riveting if you're if you're into that and you're like I wonder you know there's a one in a hundred chance that this has a Michael Jordan rookie card or something and they they pull that um, they call them pulls um, yeah that that can be fascinating so there's there's a lot of kind of very specific category activity going there that I think uh, I think a lot of us thought okay Amazon's going to do this Amazon's tried and it's been pretty terrible um, but I think it's going to come from these really niche verticals at first and they're going to figure it out and then you'll see it get more more momentum up into the broader retailers. So those are those are my three. Wow, those are three good ones. I feel like you stole my three. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but I, I totally agree with all those. I do think like we've we've actually seen Amazon launch some 
selling of shipping services. And I, I've seen stats that they're going to deliver 90% of their own packages this holiday. So like, I think that definitely is a thing. Even Walmart is now selling shipping services to other people, including Home Depot. So that's a totally interesting trend. 100% agree on the live streaming. Um, like I, I kind of call it the debundling of shopping. And, you know, we have all these e-commerce sites that are good at buying things, but we're not very good at product discovery. And it seems like social and video are where a lot of the, the new product discovery is coming from. And then that that ultra fast delivery for fill in orders to give you all the words you were asking about um, the <laughs> that that's a huge thing. And if you think about you know how much retailers are struggling with with grocery profitability, like it's a double whammy that while they're trying to figure out how to solve for profitability, the the consumer is moving to this even you know inherently less profitable order. Um, so it's going to be that that's going to be an interesting disruption of the industry. So if I were to add three to that. Uh, uh, I, I do think just the the whole pandemic acceleration of gro- digital grocery like is uh, one I talk about a lot, and I still think that that is a huge thing. Like all all those predictions about how how much the pandemic was accelerating e commerce were probably wrong, but but grocery delivery grocery e commerce probably did get accelerated five years, and to me. Maybe, you know, what will ultimately end up being one of the most important things that happened during the pandemic is Amazon invented a new grocery store, right? This Amazon Fresh concept, and it's starting to scale. There's more than 30 of them now. They have just walk out technology in them, which I would have bet against them having this quickly. Um, and there are there are uh, lots of investigative journalists that have found um some interesting real estate footprints that would imply that it's going to scale that there's a business plan floating out here that had like 300 of these in the UK, which is a small Island. Um, I, I think we could look back uh, five years from now and, and see Amazon as a very meaningful brick and mortar uh, grocer. And, and I think 2021 is the year it, it, it happened without us totally acknowledging it. Um, so I think Jaywalk grocery is an interesting evolution. Uh, one that I end up talking about a lot with my clients, also driven by Amazon, is retail media networks, right? So, you know, Amazon is at a run right now of about $30 billion in ads. It's probably the most profitable business Amazon has. Um, I think this, this battle for eyeballs between retailers and um, uh, traditional digital platforms is is super interesting. And I think, you know, you uh, Seth Dallaire, who is uh, one of the 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 key um, guys at, at Amazon media, like we had him on the show when he moved to, to fresh direct and he's now running Walmart connect for, for Walmart. So you're, you're seeing the retailers hire these like credible me- media sales people. And I, I think that's a, a, a going forward, a significant part of every retailer's plan is how to be their own media network, how to get eyeballs and how to monetize those eyeballs. And that's a new, new skill for our retailers. So I think that's a big deal. And then the last one I'm going to throw out uh, is one that I am surprised doesn't get talked about more, uh, but it's uh, the apparel retailer Shein. And I, I think they are super interesting. They've had phenomenal success. Uh, they're probably globally the largest apparel reseller uh, on the planet right now. And their their annual revenues are more than, than uh, H&M and Zara combined. So, so um, a remarkable story of, of fast acceleration. But the bigger story here is, to me, Shein is very representative of the democratization of apparel. That, like, for the longest time, um, we expected uh, Mickey Drexler or Versace or 
uh, Yeezy to tell us like what was cool to wear. And then we waited until we could buy those clothes and we bought them. And I just, I think that model is totally dead now. I think the apparel that sells best, the stuff that Shein sells, um, the stuff that Target sells, the stuff that, that um, Stitch Fix sells is frankly based on customer data. It's watching customers, finding out what they like, and then making it really fast. And so you know, Shein isn't, isn't fashion driven by a stylist. It's fashion driven by TikTok, right? And, uh, and Instagram. And I think that's a, a lot of apparel companies haven't gotten the memo yet that the, the consumer is now squarely in charge of these fashion trends. Yeah, I saw saw an article about these guys where this um this one lady she did this argyle sweater outfit and it it was on Instagram it got some viral love they took that and it created a whole you know the the outfit they had copied it or or I guess fast fashioned it I don't know how the how the IP works in this world uh, but they had, they had replicated it and they I think they even used her picture which I think was what the article was about that she didn't really you know realize that that you know effectively she was open sourcing this thing to the world um and then it became a top seller for them like in 60 days it was insane how fast that they identified the trend and got the 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 product out there it was like you know nascar fashion or something yeah it's crazy if you think about it, like the fashion traditionally worked like dudes would show up in paris at the fashion show and show these cool styles and then everyone would steal those styles and send them into factories. And two years later, those fact those fashions would be available at Neiman Marcus. Yeah. Two years later. And and so the the genius of Gap was that they got those fashions to the mall 18 months later instead of two years later. <laughs> and the the disruption of HM and Zara was that they got them to the mall six months later instead of 18 months later, right? Um she and sees that woman in the crop top argyle sweater and they have they they have that fashion available in a week and here's what's super interesting they don't make a million of them and hope they sell which is what all those other retailers had to do they make 12 of them and if those 12 sell in 8 seconds versus 20 seconds then they make thousands of them right mm-hmm. and so it's it's really data driven real time ab testing on apparel trends um, at a at a speed that that these kind of traditional apparel brands can't even imagine, and that's because they have the factories right there that they're able to do that, or like they yeah, have some yeah, and 3D they, printing in, technology. In Sheehan's like case, what? they don't own the factories; they have a net like that. Uh, it's a gig worker economy for factories, right? Like so, in the same way that Uber recruits a bunch of Uber drivers, Sheehan recruits a bunch of factories um, that they then go to and say, Hey, we've got some, some ideas for some new models and find one of those factories that accepts the order and makes the, uh, the stuff. And so, and sometimes those are factory driven ideas. Sometimes they're Shein driven ideas, but, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's the model. And, you know, there is a dark side to this, like, you know, a lot of it's, there's a lot of questions about the, the labor standards and practices at a bunch of these factories. And of course there's, you know, a lot of the stuff that gets bought on Shein is super cheap and gets worn once. And so it's an ecological disaster. Um, I would argue the industry it's disrupting is also kind of a, you know, ha- has a lot of, of dark sides and, and is not very sustainable. So I like I'm not sure Shein improves on on any of those problems. But from a pure consumer demand standpoint, um, I don't think we're ever going back to, you know, these like anointed tastemakers that like decide what we're all going to wear for the next year. Yeah, clearly. Clearly that model is is sailed, I think. 
Indeed. Um, well, listen, Scott, uh, I know we both have to run, uh, but that is probably a great place to wrap up our final show of 2021. Uh, I need to take some downtime, not to see my family or anything like that. But uh, uh, in early January, we always like to record the forecast show and his, his Traditionally, you crush me. And so I feel like I need to spend a lot more time thinking about my forecast before the forecast show comes up. Yeah. Um, challenge accepted. I'll, I will also be thinking about this in a background process as I'm uh, enjoying the holiday. I think this is a good time to thank our listeners. You know, we've, um, you know, we've, we've seen our listenership grow pretty steadily over the years and we really appreciate everyone giving us time to in your day to talk about the topics we talk about and we get a lot of great feedback and a really engaged set of uh, listeners. And we really appreciate you listening. And if you want to share your appreciation, one of the ways you can do that is through a five-star rating. So fire up your, your favorite podcast listening technology. And if you would leave us a five stars, we, that would be the perfect holiday gift for us. Yeah, that's exact. Five stars is exactly my size too, Scott. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, listen, can't appreciate uh, enough the listeners for spending this time with us every week. Um, it, this is a lot of fun for us to do. And I learned so much from the the chats I have with folks after they they listen to the podcast. So I'm uh, that is one of the things I'm super grateful for. Yeah, everyone have a great holiday. Jason, you have enjoy your trip to California. Thank you. You have a wonderful holiday as well. Uh, and until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 